Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I am in Scottsdale, Arizona at the home of... Should I even start? I think you're about to. (laughs) (laughs) A proud owner of an Arizona archery cow tag, Mr. Cody Nelson. Yeah. Cody was so excited that he had drawn uh, a great elk tag in the state of Arizona and I can't let this podcast go without just I mean roll, well, I, I rolling figured over you were you. gonna have fun with this Cody drew but accidentally put in for a archery cow tag and it wasn't until the draw results finally came out yeah. that his elation turned to deflation yeah we didn't have a credit card hit until until late and yeah that was uh I was on my phone and it was having trouble seeing it, <laughs> and I just saw that I got drawn, and I'm like, "Well, that can only mean one of two things." And so, as I started digging, and I probably should just, just wrote it out for a while and <laughs> had a little more thought about it. But yeah, I drew a, uh, I drew the three A three C coveted cow tag i was tag number one by the way you know by the way if anybody's asking it takes four points to draw that (laughs) yeah exactly you're gonna go up there and you're gonna have all kinds of giant bulls all around you and no Um, cows that's typically how it works you know jay i bought point guard okay so you have the option Um, to give it i I am gonna give it to uh to eddie over at oe fourier and if nobody knows what that is that's outdoor experience for all um i'm not going to use the tag i'm going to give it to um you know, the wounded warriors or whoever, you know, right. they see fit to, or a kid or somebody. And, uh, so yeah, so I'm, I'm going to turn it back in. I'm going to, I, I want my points back. Yeah. Well, Cody, I, I hate 30, to, by the way, that's 30 years. I know. Someone as meticulous as you to make a mistake I, like that is just mind boggling. I'm the guy that took copies of the old paper apps and copied the checks and copied everything and had them. I'm with you. And I let the computer fail or me fail the computer i don't know yeah well i couldn't go very long on the podcast cody said you can bring it up if you want and so i had to use it in the intro no that's perfect him while he's down nope. we're gonna have a fun episode today we have Cortland food for who's the territory account manager for zeiss optics thanks Cortland, jay thanks for doing? having me yeah Appreciate it. looking forward to it uh we're gonna have a great podcast today we've got a l- lot of great products out here on the table and uh, Cortland's going to educate me as well as the listeners uh, on Zeiss. Uh, but we had to uh, kick Cody while he was down a little bit about his cow tag first to start off. Uh, Cortland, let's start with you here. Get a little background on where you're from, uh, where you grew up, uh, a little bit behind the scenes on Cortland Dude. Yeah, so I'm actually originally from, from Phoenix. I grew up in North Phoenix, uh, graduated high school here, went to college at ASU. And, I like uh, you already. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, no U of A fans here, right? That's right. Not allowed. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm from uh, Arizona, but born and raised hunting and fishing here. So, hunted with my dad and my grandfather um, from the time I can remember until now. So, Awesome. Uh, went to Arizona State. What years were you there, roughly? Uh, I graduated in 2009. So I was oh, there. shoot. You're just a pup. Yeah, I started at ASU in, <laughs> what, 2006, I think? Okay. Yeah. So, did you enjoy going to ASU? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Big school now, isn't it? Big school, but it kept me in the desert, so I could still, ch- still chase coos deer every year. So, yeah. that you're a coos deer nut. Oh yeah, yeah. Nice. 
Um, we're going to talk about the Zeiss line today, and I got to be honest, I've been a Swarovski guy for a long, long time. Um, to be honest with you, the first pair of binoculars that I ever got was a pair of 10 by 40, 40 or 42, I don't remember. But the, oh, the classics? The classic. yeah, classics. Yeah, it was, those were 1040s. Yep. Just incredible optics. <laughs> I was so pumped when I got those. They, those actually ended up getting stolen out of my truck. Um, and, but while I used them, I used them for several years and absolutely love those binos. And I, I see people still using them today. Yep. Oh, it's still the, like the most iconic Zeiss product ever made. Yeah, yeah. And the, the glass in them, it, I looked through a pair the other day and it was like, it's still as sharp and crisp as it's ever been. Yeah. It was a good binocular. Very yeah. good binocular. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of the listeners are like me and want to maybe know a little bit more about Zeiss. Uh, all I really know is Zeiss is based in Germany. Um, but I've always heard that, you know, like Doctor and Zeiss were kind of part of the same company. They also had affiliations with other companies. And then something like when East and West Germany, when that line got, you know, split and everything, that those companies split up. Um, do you have any knowledge as far as the background on that? My knowledge is a little limited as far as going back that far. I know the companies were affiliated and there was a split. So Zeiss is its own entity now. Um, but Zeiss as a whole, I mean, the, the binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes are just a small piece of what Zeiss does. Um, Zeiss is very involved in the Meditech world. They make uh, all sorts of little parts for your cell phone, for um, surgery equipment, optic optician equipment, uh, <coughs> sunglasses, eyeglasses, all sorts of stuff. So Zeiss as a company is involved in, you know, many, many different industries. And that's the, the beautiful thing about that is we have engineers from Germany and from all over the world that can help us develop products for all of those um, different styles of products. Mm -hmm. And uh, that knowledge allows us to create a, a lot of diverse things. You know, I can remember seeing and still to this day seeing uh, Zeiss, you know, this, this blue logo emblem mm -hmm. on Sony cameras. Yep. Like point-and-shoot cameras and having the Zeiss lens. Microscopes. Yep. Microscopes and some of the different things. And I would imagine that Zeiss's uh, company, that the uh, optics department is probably a small portion of, you know, we get to thinking that, oh, Zeiss Optics or Leica Optics or Swarovski, it's such a huge. But when you take some of those companies like that, it's actually kind of a small segment of a huge company absolutely. that has a broad spectrum of things that they that they're very good at. Absolutely, and I mean Zeiss, we're known for making lenses for the hunter, right? Everybody in the hunting side knows Zeiss for the lenses, but we make lenses for microscopes, cameras. Um, I believe we're making the majority of Sony's lenses now, and they proudly display that Zeiss emblem on their product because of the quality of the lens. So right. that's the one thing we're trying to really get the name out is that Zeiss is. is wrapped up in all of these different industries and has their fingers in all these different pies because they do it well. And um, when it comes down to making glass, there's not too many companies that do it better than Zeiss, which is a benefit. There's a lot of other very good companies out there, but as far as widespread, Zeiss has a, a very wide scope of what they can do and what they already do. Sure. A little bit, uh, digging in a little bit more on you as in relation to Zeiss, uh, how long have you been working with Zeiss and as territory account manager, kind of what does that mean to the lay person? So me actually working for Zeiss, this is a, a kind of a new venture. Zeiss actually just hired um, a whole new in-house sales force. So we have direct employees working for Zeiss doing all the sales. 
Um, and basically what that means is to, we will go out and sell it to all the retailers, uh, do all the sales support, training, uh, help with the marketing. So the Zeiss brand is represented in a consistent way throughout the whole country. Um, and what that kind of r- relates to for the end consumer is you get the right information when you need it and the products are on the shelf when you want them. And that's kind of our whole goal is to make sure that we get our, our retailers educated, get our consumers educated, and get people excited about walking in and looking at a Zeiss that they may not have ever seen before. So in this day and age, the consumer is getting more and more educated, but I believe there is a, a lot of steps that still need to be taken to get the consumer to that end result. And I know I've done a lot of podcasts with Cody here, uh, the glassing guru, I call him the optics authority. Um, and we get a lot of feedback from people wanting more information. And I think that's, you know, Zeiss creating kind of this in-house department that wants to spread the word throughout the nation and the, and the world is a d- direct result of customers, you know, yearning and, and, and longing for more information about products. I think that's where this podcast as well as other podcasts and other, you know, magazines, other information is more educated as the consumer can get, the better off they'll be in making right. great choices. Oh, 100%, 100% agree. Yeah. So uh, let's see what we've got uh, here, not only on the table uh, and describe to me and the listeners kind of the Zeiss line. Uh, looks like we've got everything here from all different sizes of binoculars to rifle scopes to spotting scopes. And so I'm interested in. Uh, having you kind of talk about it before I do that, Cody uh, at at Go Hunt at the at the gear shop, the optics department, you sell a lot of Zeiss, and you have sold uh, in your prior uh, location before that. Been selling Zeiss for a very long period of time. Uh, one of my first introductions to the 1560 Zeiss was, I mean, you used the 1560 Zeiss. Still one of the forever. best pieces of glass in the world. Yeah, I mean, I remember you up on top of knobs and different units helping me glass for clients and stuff just with those 1560s. Just Yeah, those were a, a, a kind of the original, really kind of the original big, big game glass because, <clears throat> you know, the guys out of Tucson were using it so much for... You know, and they'd put them on a tripods, and, um, you know, I can remember as a kid thumbing through, you know, whatever Peterson's hunting or whatever magazine and seeing Dwayne Adams perched up on a rock, you know, with this, you know, ridiculously tiny little tripod and these, you know, giant binoculars, which, you know, back in the day, I think in the 80s, they still were around like 1500 bucks. Yeah. And people, you know, I I remember hearing stories of of two or three guys going in on them together. And sharing them and kind of like uh, you hear some of the big glass, you know, the 30, 25s and 30s on some of the other manufacturers. A- absolutely. Of big glass now. Yeah. And, it, and it's funny you bring up Dwayne because we've, I've done several podcasts with Dwayne and, you know, he talks about the, the golden years of, you know, glassing with 15 by 60 Zeiss and, you know, being kind of one of the first pioneers to do it. And still to this day, when you look through them, they're, they're sharp as they can it, be. It, it's, it's, and the difference is, is that that's a poro prism glass, and most glasses, everything we have on the table today is roof prism, and it's if you talk to the engineers, the 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 poro prisms actually move light more efficiently, and I can't imagine that in the you know the thirty years that those have been around, if you took today's glass and put them in a poro prism, I don't even. 
you know, I, I can't even imagine how good it would be. But the 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 downside to them is is they're they're much bigger and heavier. So there's a there's a trade off there. But the one thing that they do differently than some of these glasses do today is they have a a much different depth of view, meaning that they you see more in depth in in color in uh, in 3D, if you will. Um, it it really helps you see those kind of things, and I think, you know, I don't know I, when you're looking across a sea of 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 uh, of you know bush and or cat claw or I can't think of anything better as to be able to see in between those kind of yeah when a cooster head pops up exactly and you see a flick of an ear yep yep like it, it, so anyway I, I just it, what a great mm. piece of glass it's always been one of my favorites and uh, and it's quite frankly it's it's how I learned to glass that's awesome I, you know that's awesome really. I can still see you up there sitting on points glassing with the fifteen sixties. Uh, Cortland, go ahead and walk us through um, the Zeiss product line here as we see it today. Yeah, so we'll start with the binoculars. Um, our introductory to our, our binocular line is our Terry ED. Um, they're available in a 32 millimeter and a 42 millimeter, so a, a kind of a compact binocular on a full size bino. They're going to retail for around the $500 price point. Uh, very, very strong binocular at that price point. Um, Cody, you guys have sold these fairly well. Yeah, really well actually. Yeah. I mean, it's they, they've done they've done good. And they the, feel good in your hand. So these are in solid. the five hundred dollar range. Yep, yep. Five fifty for the ten forty twos. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's and and I think sometimes you know when you're a lot of people think oh those are entry level glass and you know I, I don't know if you if you've picked up certain pieces of glass I know you guys have but it's probably been a while but when you pick up certain pieces of glass that are entry level sometimes they kind of feel wispy and light. Yeah. These, and these feel solid. Th- those, these have a completely different feel to them. Um, and, and, I mean, they're a solid piece of glass, and I think that they're well-built for sure. Absolutely. How, how important, you know, you're going to go through this, but for a company like Zeiss to be able to have several entry points for customers to be able to come in at a certain point and then maybe graduate up the line as opposed to just having, you know, your top of the line and that's all you provide um, – Talk a little bit about that. Well, so you kind of want to, as a company, you want to bring out a a product mix that's attractive to the most, you know, the broadest spectrum of customers. So if we just have a product like our SF, that's a $2,700 binocular, you're you're not giving anybody that can't quite move up to that price point of binocular a chance to actually have a piece of ice glass. So the rationale is we want to have an attractive price point of product that's going to still portray the Zeiss quality. At a price point that's more attractive to, the, to more people. Um, and, I mean, especially in the Western U.S., a $500 binocular for most guys is a starting point um, because we use our glass so much, you know, in, in the West that you've got to spend that money to get that quality, get the performance out of them. So okay. we feel that's, which, a good pr- that's a good starting point which, for us. Which, you know, in turn basically fits our model as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're, we're making changes to our product selection too. At Gohan? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you get guys that, you know, it is, sometimes it's really, you know, it's kind of sexy to have all the big stuff. And, and then you realize that there's a lot of people asking you questions about, Hey, well, you know, I want to get into this. And, and you realize, you know, that your selection on, on, on that entry level end 
isn't you know what 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 you want it to be and so we're broadening our spectrum too and and uh you'll you'll see some changes in our lineup here um you know certainly you know before the 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 busy season happens absolutely and there's a lot of price point of binos in that 500 price point that are quality pieces of glass i mean they're, they're really good values for the money um but you know i always encourage people to go out and look through everything you can before you purchase a pair of binos Take as many binoculars as you can outside and look at them in natural light just so you get an idea of what you're buying and buy what's most comfortable for you. Um, I mean, I'd love to tell everybody, go out and buy a pair of Zeiss today and do it, but go out and look through them. If, if, you're, if you're looking for maybe that next step up from your, your $100 pair of binos to, you know, five or $600 sex, that's what you can afford. Go out and look at as many of them as you can and pick the one that, that looks the best for you. It feels the best for you. Yeah, I know the guys at Shields and Cabela's and all the fun places are really loving when I say this, but... You know, if you're going to go into a store, go into a store and, and and ask somebody to take them outside. Absolutely. Most of the stores will do that these days. If you look at them inside under fluorescent light, I think everything looks good. I mean, it's hard to discern, but, you know, my, my, my point being is, is that your eyes matter most. And I think you should give yourself an opportunity to look at them. You know, and I, you know, any time that I've ever shopped in my life, you you, you try to go look at something in, in the condition that you're going to actually be using it in. And I think the, the best time to do it is in the evening or, of course, I don't know many places that are open, you know, at sunrise. But my point being is, you know, go in at sunset and, and look at that low light and see if it makes a difference to you. Go look at tire treads in the parking lot or. Yeah, pick the tree out in the parking yeah, lot. Yeah, I mean, something to, to differentiate and, and kind of, and, you know, kind of teach yourself what your eyes see and what's important to you. All right, so we've got the Terra EDs. Mm-hmm. And what's the next? The next step up is going to be the Conquest HD. So this is kind of getting up into the $1,000 plus price point. So we've got these in a lot of the same configurations, 832, 1032, um, 8 and 1042. And we also do this one in an 8 and 1056 for customers or, or somebody that wants just a, a lot brighter binocular with that big 56 objective, the light gathering on that bino is phenomenal. Um, but this also gives us the ability to do the 1556. Uh, those are going to retail right around $1,800. Um, personally, I think it's one of the best bangs for the buck out there as far as a, a higher end 15 goes. Um, they're pretty lightweight, pretty small for how, you know, for the size of glass they are for being the 15. Um, and it's a phenomenal tripod glass. Uh, we do include a tripod adapter with it. So if you buy those and buy a tripod, you're hitting the hills and ready to go. Um, so it's the adapter. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty simple pin style adapter, um, quick release. So how much are these? Uh, 1799. Okay. Yep. We got a good feel to them. Glassed up a lot of deer with those. That's your go-to for coos? That's my go-to. Yep. I spend more time behind those than anything else. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you'll find that that uh, that's. I mean, it, it truly is an excellent piece of glass on the on the mountain. Absolutely rocks. Yep, and c- very comfortable eye cups, which is kind of hard to find a lot of fifteens. Um, these are kind of a little bit smaller eye cup than some of the competition, so they are a little bit more comfortable for the guys that do like to have their eye cups all the way out and plant mm-hmm. their face behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just a solid bino, and it's a very durable binocular. These are it's an aluminum constructed bino, so they're they're pretty tough and pretty rigid. Um, I'm not going to say I've beat mine up, but they've been well used and I haven't had any issues with them. So, okay. And then, uh, jumping up from the conquest HD, um, we'd go up to our victory SF. So this is our premium handheld binocular. It's an open bridge design, um, magnesium frame bino. 
This is the brightest binocular in Zeiss's lineup. It's a 95% light transmission. Um, extremely light and extremely well-balanced bino. Um, these Ergonomically are, yeah, correct. Exactly. Exactly. So um, 8 and 1042, and this is a 22-ounce binocular. So, well, 21 and change. Um, very, very lightweight. Goes really well on the chest pack or just carrying around. But what really shines in this bino is when you're hand-holding it, the balance of the binocular makes it actually feel quite a bit lighter than some of the competition. Um, it just balances very well in the hand, so you don't get a lot of fatigue if you are hand-holding it for a long period of time. Um, super bright, super light, and the, the color resolution, that binocular is phenomenal. Good stuff. And what are those retail for? Those are twenty-seven forty-nine for the 1042s. Okay. And if everybody goes on to the website, you know, gohunt.com, we have little gift cards for them when they purchase. You have photos of all this on the go Absolutely. Side. Okay. Everything that you see here today, um, like ninety-five percent of it is 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 on our website. Okay. And there's some new stuff coming. So Jay, the the next jump is going to be our Victory RF bino. Um, this is getting into our range finding binocular platform. Uh, we do these in an 842, 1042, and then an 8 and 1054. Again, for guys that want a little bit brighter, um, a brighter piece of glass there, the 54s are a little bit bigger. But they do gather quite a bit more light. Um, what really makes this binocular shine is, I mean, range finding binoculars have become very popular over the last probably five or ten years. And it's it, when you start talking about having a premium piece of glass with a premium range finder, um, the price point does go up on them. But this is an 11 to 2,500-yard range finder. Um, does your angle it also has a built-in weather station so what that gives us is in conjunction with the Zeiss hunting app you can actually build all your ballistic profile on our hunting app and Bluetooth all of your ballistic information into the rangefinder and then customize the display in the rangefinder to give you different ballistic holdovers or different ballistic readings um, like if you look through this guy here the ranging buttons on the right side mm -hmm. um, if you can get a range on it that should be set up for I believe my six and a half Creedmoor um, it'll actually give you the range first, and if you keep looking, the second readout's going to give you MOA holdover, mm -hmm. and the third readout, I believe, is click correction value on my rifle scope. So That's pretty not neat. only will it tell me how many MOAs to hold over if I'm shooting off a reticle, but it'll tell me how many clicks to dial the scope. Yeah, so I'm hitting the button, and then the numbers are just appearing. It seems like there's about a second and a half, maybe two seconds between each I'm, that's just yeah, a, should we write it about a second and yeah, a half? Yeah, that's just a ballpark. Good stuff. And the nice thing about that too, Jay, is that in the app, you can switch it from right to left if you're a bow hunter or you know, left-handed, right-handed, mm -hmm. whatever. Say that again? You can switch. You can make it so either but it works either way. Yeah, oh, so you can, that's you can invert the buttons. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, I actually like the buttons on, way down here on this side yeah and being in front of the bridge and the buttons are a little bit bigger if you're ever wearing gloves or have anything you know everybody wears gloves in your glass and if it's cold you can still get positive purchase on that button um it's it's been an unbelievable piece this is a true 92 percent light transfer bino um, anytime you're talking about a range finding binocular versus like a standard binocular mm -hmm. the range finding binos tend not to be as bright because you have to send the signal out of one lens and receive it in another lens mm -hmm. and the the coatings that are that are needed to receive that do hamper your light transmission a little bit and that's that's brought across everybody's range finding binocular 
Um, but I'll, I, Is that the reason why when people ask me the question, they'll say, why does a non-rangefinder binocular seem a smidge brighter exactly. than a yep. rangefinder binocular? That's exactly, that's exactly right. Yep. Okay. yep. You've got to have a coating on one of those lenses to be able to receive that signal back into range <clears throat> to get the range. So there's always going to be a little bit of a difference between a range-finding binocular versus a standard bino because standard bino doesn't have that lens in there or may not have that coating on the lens in there. But, um, but you're mainly talking that where you see that discrepancy or see that difference is in super low light conditions. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like right now it's, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning. You're not going to notice the difference at all. No, you'd be hard pressed to notice the difference right now. But that last 30 minutes of daylight, that first 30 minutes of daylight, um, you, you can notice the difference and it's not a huge difference. You're talking a couple percent light transfer. Um, but it is pretty constant from what, from my experience in everybody's range finding binocular and Cody might be well, able to speak more to that. And I think some of them you find that there's actually less light transmission. When, when Zeiss came out with the HT, I think that they, I, I think they certainly kind of hit it out of the park because it was, it was one of the brighter, if not the brightest that we had looked through at the time. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I know uh, Leica re-engineered their you know, their HDB mm-hmm. three. I'm sorry, their their HDB three thousands, and then um, you know, so and, and that's that that also is is a bright piece of glass. But um, I, I think when it comes to to it, this is this is pretty darn bright. When you when you stack them up side by side next to each other, it's pretty impressive. I, I believe. And, and I'm, I don't know all the figures off the top of my head as far as brightness goes, but I believe these are rated as the brightest range-finding binocular, and it could be for the focal length because they're a fairly short binocular. Right. Um, the other thing you notice, Jay, is when you're holding that, it feels like a regular bino. It doesn't yeah, feel it like does. a range-finding binocular. There's no nothing else added to the body to make it bulkier. So the benefit we've seen is it fits in the chest packs very well, just like a standard 10 by 42 does. So it just makes right, it a little like more Like on the Swarovski, they have those wings down here. Yep. These yep. feel just like a regular binocular. You wouldn't know they're a range-finding binocular mm-hmm. until you start hitting the button. So you're telling me that right now this is set up for right-handed, but you could set it. It's kind of hard to describe to the listener, but if I'm looking at the what would be the back end of the binocular. Yeah, up towards the objective lens, right, right in front of the bridge. Where, let's say, if you were just holding a pair of binocular where your index finger would just gently rest, there's basically that's where the buttons are. Yep. The buttons and are. you yep. can switch those buttons if you're left or right hand. Exactly. Okay. And it's it's all done via Bluetooth with, with our app. So the benefit of, of the app being Bluetooth is you don't have to have cell phone service to change the settings on your binocular. You can change the settings by just using the menu button on the bino, but if everybody's ever tried to do that, it becomes very cumbersome. It's really easy to bring up your app, sync it with the rangefinder real quick, make your changes, and you're done. Um, just it, on the fly, it's a lot faster and a lot easier, and everybody's always got their cell phone on them now. So One thing I'm also noticing, too, I'm twisting the ocular, the, the eye cups on the ocular side, obviously, um, and there's some clicks. Yep. Stages. So yeah, we have places where you know you can get... The, uh, perfectly quarter, lined are, up yep. th- those should be three stage right yep it's a three yeah. stage um i like that eye cup for your eye relief yeah now i normally go with the eye cups all the way in uh but i notice a lot of people really like to have the eye cups have them out question for both of you i feel like the brightest best image is when the eye cups are all the way in all of my binos well, i never use the eye cups i'll Someone play the devil's okay. advocate and tell me why someone would like to use the eye cups. Well, there's, I mean, there's a couple things. First of all, is is, is uh, it goes back to that? What's your eye see? 
what do you feel? Um, way back in the day, you were talking about Dr. Optics earlier um, and the Zeiss. Um, I, I don't even know how I figured it out, but one day I rolled the eye cups forward, and, and I don't even know why I did it. I'm not an eyeglass wearer. And for people that don't know that, you know, that's why you can change the eye relief on them is because if you have eyeglasses on, it still gives you a, at least a decent, you know, field of view and, you know, perceived, you know, I'll talk about that in a second, perceived field of view. Well, I rolled those eye cups on the, on the Zeiss down and it was like, it was like somebody like turned on the lights. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and it is, I'm going to say it, it, it's, there's a perceived field of view Brighter. and I just felt like I was kind of like in the binocular as opposed to like looking through tubes i don't i don't know how to describe it i just always liked it and from that day forward i don't even the koas uh even the doctor optics and the big eye i mean everything that we do i I always turn my eye cups down and it's it's because I like that perceived, you know, field of view that I get. I feel like things are brighter. I feel like I'm into the binocular better. What would you um, say the general consumer is when you're at trade shows and seeing people? Do, and if you handed someone with the eye cups all the way in, how many times do they crank the eye well, cups? Well, uh, uh, quite a bit. Yeah, quite a bit. Um, and I, I think that there's a couple reasons why people do that. Um, number one, because they they think that they just have to be out. Right. Um, so I think you know, you can educate people and some people, you, you'll hear it all the time. People go, Oh, I'm an eye cups in guy. Well, that, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, some guys like some, okay. So here's the thing when you're holding in, you know, we always talk about tripod holding, but if you're hand holding your binoculars and you put the eye cups all the way down, you really kind of then are have to really kind of steady your binoculars if you will because they're really not touching anything on your face anymore so um i've just gotten to to the habit like i mean because my thumbs go right to my cheeks and just the way that i do it i it's i kind of hold it there anyway but there's a lot of people that will throw those eye cups and that's they just like the fact they like you ever see the guys that you know have the black they have the black because of all the dirt they end because they they end up having you know their their eyes are buried into the glass and i think that it comes down to a personal thing and see i'm an eye cup guy on a handheld set of binos so when i'm if i'm hiking around my eye cups are always cranked out so if i need them fast i can bring them up purchase them on my on my face and get the correct view the correct view that so I need. So for you the eye cup is basically being able to pull up, have them touch and have them be in the same spot every time right, whereas exactly. if they're all the way down like Cody's talking they have to well, float them a yep. little bit. So exactly. what happens to Jay is that if you don't have like if you have the eye cups down if you if you if you change that that depth, you know, away from your face you can sometimes get that little halo, that mm-hmm. little blackening mm-hmm. and obviously that you don't want that. But you know, it it just it comes with experience and time and, and being able to hold those to your to your face. Yeah, and the, and the other big thing for me too is when I have like a fifteen on a tripod. If it's a cool morning and you have those eye cups cranked out, yeah, your body heat can fog the lenses. So I've gotten into the habit now that I don't even touch the eye cups on my fifteens. They stay cranked in all the time. And being on the tripod, I can float my head a little bit easier than I can float a pair of fifteens. So yeah, couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, because you 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 take your hat brim and then throw the eye cups out. And oh, you've yeah. just hiked up to the top of a peak, you're going to fog your lenses. It's yep. just that's 100%. It's going to happen. 
you were talking about the Victory RF, and I heard you say the HTs. Well, yeah, the 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 body style that that um, RF comes from was originally the Victory HTs. Okay. And Cortland, I, I mean, you can tell them because they're, I mean. Yeah, the, the HT is, is an older series of binoculars, so we've discontinued yeah. it in favor of the SF because yeah. we made the SF a little bit lighter. Um, the light transmission is actually about the same. This is just a trimmer, a little bit more compact, a little more ergonomic binoculars, just an upgrade from the HT. Mm -hmm. And then we use the same kind of design on the HT to make the RF, so we had the room to put the, um, the range-finding portion in at the weather station, all that in that bridge. So if you look at an HT and an RF, they're actually fairly similar. Um, in design, and that's that's the reason. So we could actually use that platform to right. develop the range finding portion. And Cortland, you talk about the eleven to twenty five hundred. Um, like the Swarovski EL doesn't start until thirty three yards. Mm -hmm. So you're at eleven yards all the way out to twenty five hundred. My question would be, how consistent can you get those two thousand plus readings with those? So it, it's all how consistent you can hold the binocular. If you can hold the bino steady, we can get readings. I've actually um, ranged about twenty two hundred yards hand holding these, and on a tripod, I've gotten over twenty five hundred. Okay. So um, if you're really doing a lot of extended range ranging, I would recommend putting them on a tripod for that fifteen, eighteen, two thousand yard range but it is very doable hand-holding them. Um, the way that they've engineered the laser in this is, it's a little bit more accurate than any I've ever seen it. It's very quick. So it kind of reminded me of when Leica came out with the uh, the 3000. It was right. a very fast rangefinder, but it was a little touchy holding it and getting it steady on the target. So anytime you're ranging that far, especially on a smaller target, you gotta be able to keep the bino still. So from what I've found is if I'm consistently ranging over 1,500 yards, I'm going to try to put this on a tripod just to get that consistent and faster range. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So that covers the binoculars? Yep. So that's kind of the, the down and dirty on those. And I'm sure we could go on for hours about each specific one, but we're trying to just kind of do a general overview. Uh, so let's go right into the spotting scopes next. Okay, so we actually have three different lines of spotting scopes. Um, our Dialyte's kind of our classic spotting scope. It's a straight spotter, uh, 45 millimeter. Um, it's, I, I call it our sheep hunter scope because a lot of the guys that are sheep hunting in Alaska, BC, even uh, down in the States, it's small enough and compact enough that it slides down in a pack really easy. Yeah, it's um, super tough. Yeah, it's super, super durable. The focus ring is actually on the objective lens, so it's actually made really well to lay on a pack and focus it without maybe it's using a tripod. Top, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's actually the whole objective ring okay. twist for the focus. Um, so that scope's actually been around for quite a while. It's been a very popular one for us. The two newer scopes we have are the uh, the Conquest Gavia. This is a 30 to 60 by 85 spotter. Um, these are going to retail for right around $2,000. Very, very tough and durable scope. One thing they did is they actually shortened the body on it a little bit. So it's only like 15 and a half inches long. So if you do want to throw it in a pack, it's it's a very packable scope. Even That's keeping an 85, that 85 millimeter. Yeah, this is an 85 objective. Hmm. Yeah. So very very good. What I call a mid price point scope. I mean, when you're looking at spotting scopes, this is going to be right around that mid tier price point. Um, the glass quality stacks up very very well to pretty much everything I put it up against. Um, the other benefit is it's a it's a very durable scope as well. So aluminum constructed, so it's very tough. Um, simple eyepiece, uh, good focus ring on the objective. So you've got a full ring to focus instead of just a little knob. Um, just makes it a little easier when you're using gloves or anything bulky. 
I notice that this is an angled comes in straight as well. We don't. We actually only make them in angled. Okay. Um, we found that all we spotting were, scopes. Yeah, all of our spotting scopes except the dialite. The dialite is a straight scope. Okay. But in the Gavia and in the its big brother, the Harpia, those are only going to come in angled. Uh, we actually found that we were selling more angled spotters than straight, and uh, we just decided to bring those out in angled, and it's it, they've they've done really well. The, and I'm sure you guys know the benefits of an angled spotter um, in diff in varied terrain or when you have multiple people looking through the scope. An angled scope comes in a lot more handy than a straight scope. So, so from a company's perspective, you guys were selling a lot more of the angled, so you decided just to make them an angled. Exactly. Yep. And the, that plate J too on the bottom where your where your right hand mm -hmm. is, that's uh, that's also a, basically the exact match to a 200 PL plate. Okay. So you don't even have to add another plate to it if you don't want to. Nice. It'll go right so onto it. So this would go it. right onto the head. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. So this is the Gavia. Yep. And then we're going to go up to the Harpia. Um, the Harpia angled scope as well. We do them in a, a, a 85 millimeter and a 95 millimeter. And the biggest difference in these two is going to be the glass quality. We're going from our, our mid kind of tier glass um, with the Conquest HD or the Conquest Gabby, excuse me. And then we're jumping up to the Harpia, which this is our full FL glass. Um, it's basically our FL. highest. Yeah, it's our fluorite coated lenses. Okay. So it's basically the highest rated lens that we produce for an optic. Um, the other benefit to the Harpia is we move the power ring from the eyepiece to the objective lens. And the big benefit there, it's kind of a, a revolution, if you will, in the spotting scope market it is. is it keeps your field of view more consistent throughout the whole power range of the scope. So when you look at like at 70 power on the 95, we're consistently getting 40% wider field of view than some of the competition. And I mean, all that translates to is you can see more in your field of view at one point at the same magnification. So, um, so what you're saying is when you go to full power at 70 on, on some of the other spotting scopes, you're going to have a narrower field of view where on that you can basically go from the lowest power all the way to the highest power and maintain that yeah you're keeping a more consistent it, angle yeah, of it field of view it won't maintain but it's like the cone doesn't get as sharp i mean yeah as narrow it, it's yeah it doesn't get as narrow yeah okay so i mean the most comparable scope to this we're they're at 35 feet field of view at 70 power we're at 58 so it's a it's a drastic That's 13 feet isn't it it's 23 Wait, feet. what'd you say thir 35 to 58 oh so yeah, it's huge. So it's twenty three feet exactly. So it's a it's a big difference, and I mean everybody likes to take pictures now, right? I, I mean I use my spotting scope for digiscoping for video work. Um, I'll, I'll finally get good at, at video and shooting coos deer on it eventually. But when you're using it for that kind of application, or if you haven't thought about using a spotting scope for that kind of application, having that wider field of view when you are doing video or when you're panning with it and glassing is it's second to none. I mean, it really can't be beat in that arena and it adds so much value to the scope. The, the other thing is, I mean, the 95s, everybody's looking at 95 millimeter spotters and they're, they are a big spotting scope, but for what you can do with it, to me, it's, it's worth the weight and worth the size uh, if you're using it for its intended application. What is that? That's the 95 and what is that weigh? I think these are 68 ounces. I want to say 68 ounces. Yeah, I think they're right around 68 ounces. So that's the 95, but it also comes in an 85. 85. Yep. And do you know the weight difference in that? I think I think they go down to 50, 61. I think it's 61 yeah, ounces. I don't, I'd have to go. It should be right around the 60 mark somewhere in there. Yeah. So price point between the Gavia and the Harpia. 
So the, the Harpia is getting up. Um, the body and the eyepiece on the 95 is going to run about $4,800. Okay. And the 95 is going to be 4400 I believe. The 85, you mean? The 85, I'm sorry. Yeah, Correct. the 85, yep. Okay. So if, if What somebody, has been the reception from the public on both of the spotting scopes? Uh, I've been hearing a lot about this one. They've actually both been received very well. Um, the Gavi has been out for a couple of years, and the Harpy is a newer product for us last year. Um, they've actually both been received very well. The bird watching community, um, the digiscoping community, anybody that's doing serious video or, or photography work, the the ga or the harpia has been received extremely well. Um, it is a little bit more expensive than some of the competition, but the benefit of that field of view and the the, the brightness and the, the clarity you're getting with it has kind of overtaken that price point. So, I mean, one way that I actually show people what you can do with these, I walk around at trade shows and I have a, my phone scope attached to the harpia all the time. And people can walk up and play with it and see what they can do with it. And, you know, buying a spotting scope to me is an investment. And if, if you're not using it all the time, it tends to get forgotten, right? So you're not always going to pack it on the mountain, but you're always going to have it at the range. But if you can take it out scouting with you and start videoing those velvet bucks or videoing those bulls before the season, it's another benefit, another value that you never thought of. So, Well, I think that's the, you know, the biggest thing with spotting scopes is that people, I always hear about it and it's constant that... Well, I just don't use them. And, and, and the truth of it is, is they, I mean, you buy this piece of gear and I, there's places that you need to look with it and there's things that you need to do with it. And I just, I am always thinking like, why are you not doing that? Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you've got the ability right now to look at a certain face or a certain angle. And, and, and I've always said that you, you may not spend three hours looking up there, but how about five minutes and, and, and just see if there's any deer moving around? And I can't tell you how many times that we've done that. And you're thinking, there's no way you're going to be able to see at those distances. Yeah. And, and at least now you know. Well, you know, one thing that's cool, too, is I had this out at a, a long-range shooting school a couple of weeks ago. So we were on a range shooting steel targets from 100 to 1,000 yards. And I was able to hook up my camera or my phone to it, and I was videoing Trace to oh. the steel plates at 800 and 1,000 awesome. yards. So uh, we had a bunch of people on, on at the range that had never seen that before, never done. So I was walking over and videoing stuff for them and, you know, texting them links and texting them videos. And it was just one other thing you can do with it that's just you never thought of until you're there and doing it. It's just a lot of fun to see afterwards that, hey, I hit that target at 1,000 yards. Here's the video. Dunk, and you can see the bullet trace going wow. to it. So That's cool. All right. Let's yeah, it's one of the things th that I've had kind of a question is that, like, so a guy called in a couple of days ago and he was talking to me about the Harpia and the field of view. And I think in all fairness, it needs to be said, you know, Jay was talking about the cone and, and it is, it is a wider field of view for sure. Absolutely. Almost getting approaching half. In some I mean, instances. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, but the guy really was saying, Oh, well then it's brighter. Well, it, it, it's, it, you have a wider field of view, but just because the field of view is wider doesn't make it brighter. Yeah. And I was trying to explain that to him, and I, I don't want to give people the wrong impression of it because it, 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 it honestly, when you, it, it's fascinating that they can, t I mean, when I first looked at it, I was like, how did that just happen? Because it, it I mean, it really maintains the field of view really, really well. Yeah. 
and it's going to surprise people, and I think that they should give it a look. Yeah, I mean, we it's, always, it's just that simple. We always tell you that the Harpia shines at high power because of that increased field of view. Because Absolutely. in a spotting scope, when you crank up the power so high, that's the one time people don't want to use it because it seems like you're looking through a tube or looking exactly. through a tunnel and you're not seeing much. So having that extra field of view just gives you more usability at, at max power. Right. So No, stuff. absolutely. And uh, it is usable out to 70. I mean, it... Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think that's the the old days where you, you know, used to take it to 60 and think, oh, I'll turn it back to 50 and get a little... Right. I, I think that those days are, are... I think these are usable pieces of glass all the way through the power yeah. range. Definitely a good time to be a consumer. Oh, oh, for sure. Lots There's of some good stuff out there. there for sure. For sure. All right, let's dive into the rifle scopes. So the rifle scopes are pretty simple. We've got three different series rifle scopes, our V8, or excuse me, our V4, V6, and V8 series. So the numbers represent the magnification power. So on the V4, it's going to be a four times magnified scope. Uh, we have them from one to four to six to 24. Um, the V4 is all 30 millimeter tubes. Um, we kind of designed these as a dedicated long range hunting scope. So in your four to 16 and six to 24, which are generally going to be the longer range scopes, we do a, a capped windage turret and a uncapped elevation turret with a ballistic stop. So um, having a ballistic turret on here and basically for everybody that can't see what we're doing is the, the turret has numbers. So you can actually dial your MOA holdover for your longer range shots. Um, and these do have a very positive zero stop in them. It's a metal on metal zero stop. So if you are doing dialing at extended range and multiple turns on your turret, you have a very quick reference point right back to your zero. Um, these Which is are, important. It's very important. I th to me, I, I would never run a rifle scope that I'm going to dial a turret on at long range without a zero stop. Yeah. Um, for people that aren't as familiar with it, once you get behind one and start playing with any rifle scope and you're, and you're dialing, you're going to take a shot, get excited because you hit that target or hit that animal, and you're going to forget to turn that turret back to your zero point. And the next time you take that rifle out, you're going to fire that first shot if you're not paying attention and not have any idea where it went. So having that reference point back to zero is extremely important. And explain for those out there listening, zero stop, what you're talking about. So when you go out and you sight in your rifle and you, and you get your 100-yard or 200-yard or sometimes 300-yard zero, you can actually orient the turret to where it's on the zero mark on the turret, which means zero MOA. Okay. So at 300 yards, it's zero. Zero, yep. And then you you lock it so you can't dial down below that zero point. So the lowest you can dial the rifle scope is at zero. And then as you're you know taking your longer range shots, if you're shooting your you know 300 wind mag at 600 yards, and you've got to dial at 14 minutes, you can dial 14 MOA on the scope, and then turn it right back down until you hear it stop or feel it stop. Um, the other, the other thing that guys, you know, you want to look for in a rifle scope is especially when you're going to dial, make sure the clicks are positive. There's some scopes out there. Clicks are a little bit mushy. Um, and you, if, if you are dialing without looking at it instead of count and you want to count the clicks, if you can't feel them, you're, you're kind of at a loss there. So you want to make sure that they're positive enough that oh, you yeah, can, you feel, can them. For feel them for sure. And then crank that zero stop back to zero. Yeah. It's I mean, very it's, positive. Yeah. Yep. Well, and the, and the thing too, Jay, is that like, if you put like those, turrets that you see there those are i would say those are like medium height mm -hmm. so every once in a while you'll find some that are lower but that's about you know that's a good sized turret it's not obnoxiously big um so if you're if you're on a sheep hunt and you're putting you know it into a gun scabbard there's lots of people that that go to pull them out and it's not the big giant tactile yeah like where it's got grooves and like points 
to where that you, when you go to spin it out and that, that sheep lining on the inside of a saddle, you know, goes to grab it and it just spins it. Yep. And now you don't have a clue. Yep. And, or the guy just completely forgets. Well, if you train yourself and you always go back to your zero stop before you start, it, there, there's, it, it's, you know, it's just basically knowing where you're at all yep. the time, every time. And Absolutely. in the heat of the moment, wouldn't you agree if you shoot at an animal and it's, you know, let's say it's out there at 600 yards, it takes off running and all of a sudden it's coming right at you. The ability to go boom, back to zero. Absolutely. Because now Absolutely. you may have a 250-yard shot or a 300-yard shot. Absolutely. And we all know what happens in the heat of the moment. People usually, I mean, I've, I see it all the time, just people <laughs> panic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, stuff can happen. If you get, you have the right equipment that makes it easier in the field, you can kind of reduce some of those whoopsies, right? Yeah. Um, so the, a couple more things on the V4. So we make these in 44 millimeter in the, in the 4 to 16 and, and a 50 millimeter and then a 6 to 24 by 50, which I feel are kind of the more Western hunting style scopes out there. The big benefit is with the 30 millimeter tube, you get 80 minutes of travel in these scopes. So for the guys that are going out and actually shooting at fairly long range, you've got a lot of um, adjustment range in your turret to be able to compensate for those longer range shots in a pretty lightweight package. The 4 to 16, exactly. these are like 22 ounces. Uh, the 6 to 24 is only 24 ounces. So for that much power with a 50 millimeter objective, you've got a, a fairly lightweight package that you wouldn't have a hard time throwing on a six pound, seven pound mountain rifle yeah, and, and you're, not you're, having an issue. You're at the what thousand to, in the V4, you're a thousand to, to uh, what, twelve hundred bucks? Uh, yeah, so we're going to start the four to sixteens are right around nine ninety nine. Um, the six to twenty four illuminated is twelve hundred. Yep. So good attractive price point. Now these are all second focal plane rifle scopes. I think that's important to note that uh, Zeiss doesn't produce any first focal plane um, at the moment. So these are dedicated long-range hunting scopes. And, I mean, we could talk for hours on first focal plane versus second focal plane. Probably won't get into that now. But um, if you are looking for a dedicated long-range hunting scope, I think it's a really – you're doing yourself a disservice without at least checking them out because the glass quality in these is phenomenal for the price point. Okay. Good stuff. Um, All right. Then yeah, we've got we've, the V6. Yep. Going up there, the V6 is going to be our step up. And, and the biggest step, step up, up – in- glass yep so that's the biggest jump is the glass quality so this is actually getting up into our, our higher tier glass um, if you think about it kind of like our our binoculars we had our conquest and then we went up to our victory this would be kind of more of the victory style glass so fl glass um, same style of turrets these turrets are a little bit more positive than the v4 same zero stop i don't know if you guys well, can you hear can, that yeah. it's very well, very can, positive yeah i mean it's it's funny to hear both of them but it's automatic to hear the difference of the of the V6s. Yep, and this is 100% engineered, made in Germany, um, basically the top tier 30 millimeter rifle scope that we can produce. Um, we do it in a 3 to 18. Actually, we do a 1 to 6, a 3 to 18, and a 5 to 30. To me, the 3 to 18 power for a Western, any kind of Western long range hunting rifle, this is money i mean it's that's the, a five to 30 this is the three to 18 three to 18. yep so this is it, the for the that's power range cover everything exactly mm -hmm. i mean if you guys have done any long range shooting i know both of you have 18 power is plenty of power especially in a hunting situation to get to five six seven eight hundred yards mm -hmm. without an issue um you do get a little bit more travel in the scope so in the three to 18 you get 103 minutes of travel so Again, if you really want to take it and put it on your 338 Lapua and crank it out there to 2,000 yards, you've got the ability to do that. Um, what is each each revolution? So 20. These are actually 20 minute turrets. Okay. So and then what? And I'm sorry. And I don't. What, uh, 
the v4 the v4 same okay they're both so 20 minutes both 20 minutes yeah okay. the turret caps are actually identical on both of these scopes um the other thing is kenton industries cuts custom turrets for these so if you've got a guy that that likes having his yardage turret cut you can send it in have kenton cut you a turret with all your ballistic information without an issue um the other thing worth noting too is we, we do have a couple different reticles in both of these series of scopes. The most notable is going to be our ZMOA reticle and our ZBR reticle. So the ZMOA reticle is a, a pretty traditional hash mark style reticle. And depending on the scope, you can either get them in um, one or two minute increments. So that means all of your hash mark subtensions are going to be either one minute or two minutes for windage holdover, elevation holdover, whatever you may want. Um, with the ZBR reticle, it's similar, but it has that Christmas tree style reticle. So you've got built-in windage marks um, and elevation holdovers in right. the Christmas tree. So Zeiss has this kind of a newer reticles for us in the last two years that they haven't had uh, much to compete in that realm of that style of reticle. And they've been extremely popular for us. I mean, personally, I've shot both of these scopes out to, well, we went out to 1650 a couple of weeks ago with the V4 624. And they're very repeatable, very usable. Um, the way that all of these are designed, we we tend not to get any reticle cant in our stuff. I mean, a lot of scopes, and Cody, you've probably seen this a little bit. Even with higher-end scopes, there's a little bit of a deviation of how centered that reticle is. That's one thing that we really try to do is make sure that when we engineer and put these things together, that your reticles are 100% there. So if you go out and do a tracking test where you're, you're tracking how much your turret's actually changing your bullet impact. Right. They're 100% spot on. Um, the V8 is going to be our, our kind of our premium tier rifle scope. They're, they're all 36 millimeter tubed one to eights, um, or excuse me, eight powers. So we've got a one to eight, a 1.8 to 14, a 2.8 to 20. I'm drawing a blank now. And then a 4.8 to 37. So they're a little bit larger scope. And those are more designed as kind of a traditional European hunting style scope. We do have our ASV turrets on those. So you can actually get a, um, a custom turret ring cut for your ballistic information. We're a limited, little bit limited on the travel of those scopes. Since they make the erector tubes in them so big to transfer all that light and keep them as bright as they can, they generally don't play too well cranking out there past 600 True. yards. True. True 30 mil. True 30 mil. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, the glass quality in that V8 is, is unbelievable. It, to, to be honest, to me, it, it rivals pretty much anything I've ever seen. Um, but they are a little bit limited as far as a long-range Western hunting scope. Uh, five, six, seven hundred yards about the max you're going to get out of them. Yeah, they just they don't have the, the amount of travel. Yeah, and, and being as big as they are, they are a little bit heavy. Because we, since the glass we use is so premium and such a dense glass to get you that right. brightness, the scopes tend to weigh a little bit more. What, your customer for that is who? We sell a lot of those in Europe. Um, the one to eight in particular, we do really well with those on a dangerous game setup because you've got true one power at one all the way up to eight power. So right. a guy going to Alaska to chase a brown bear or going to Africa to shoot his slam, you've got the variable power enough to do the dangerous game up close with one power or crank that 375 out there a little bit farther at eight power. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Good stuff. Um, out of this line, I mean, would you say that you sell, I mean, a ton of the V6 we've been, or the V4? Well, well for, for, yeah. from my perspective, we, we've been selling a ton of the, the V4s. V4s. Um, it's just, you know, the price point is, you know, kind of in that, that sweet spot. And, uh, and they're just extremely capable scopes, uh, you know, for what people want to do with them. Um, both, we've seen kind of an, a, a, a more... 
more popular lately has kind of shifted to the 6 to 24. Um, but we still sell a fair amount of the 4 to 16s. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of people go to the 6 to 24s because people are wanting, they may not be hunting at 1,000 yards, but they're wanting to plank or, you know, at least, yeah. you know, hit target or hit, you know, ring steel at that distance. And How so, much of that do you think is per- public perception as far as uh, compared to actual quality and, and actual use and, and what you actually get ter- out of when it? You, well, their buddy tells them they need the, the higher power. Oh, I kit. think that I, I – I, well, I'll tell you right now, I, I get it every single day. Oh, my buddy says I got to have this or I got to have power. And the truth of it is is that, you know, one of my favorite scopes is a, is the Swarovski 5, 3.5 to 18. And I, even at some of the longest shots I've taken with it, I've still never shot one. At, I mean, I, I've shot it at 18 power, but I always turn the reticle until it – until it feels good on in the hold I've got and the rest I've got. And so I, but I, it just works for me that way. Um, I think sometimes, and we've talked about this before, but I think sometimes too much power creates more of a problem than it solves. Because a lot of people, when they, I mean, I've had the fortune to sit at the FTW and shoot it, you know, 12, 14, 1600 yards. And I think the one gong was, I think it was 1800 yards. And when you turn the scope all the way up, I don't care. You can, you can feel your heart. You can Mm -hmm. see your heartbeat in the, in the radical. That's never good. And so, you know, you've got to be able to to back that off and, and control your breathing and get, you know, set and, there's so much that goes into that that I think that, that some guys – I think some guys are absolutely capable. I think they absolutely practice like they should. I think they go out and they, they hit steel. And But I would tell you that I'm going to say that 75 or 80% of the people that call, they may want to shoot at 1,000, but if you ask them if they'll take a, game, a, a shot on game at that distance, no way. Absolutely won't do it. And, and that's fine. You know, just at least they know their limitation, and they 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 want to they want to shoot at a thousand, so it makes that five, six, seven hundred yard shot feel better to them. That's the, truthfully, that's what yeah. they want to do. Extend their range. Exactly. Pretty good overview here of what Zeiss has to offer. We also have. A uh, series of questions that have come in from, I put it out on Instagram saying that I was going to be talking with both of you. So um, I think we can dive into that. And then anything else that comes up through the questions and what have you that you feel like you need to add, um, you know, to what you already said, feel free to do so. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm impressed here with the lineup. Uh, first time I've really sat and been able to look at all the different products that Zeiss makes here. It's an extremely capable, and in, in, in there's something for everybody on this table right now. Yeah, and I think that's and, and I think that's important. I think that's important to say. You know, it it serves a lot of different purposes, and you could take any one of these pieces of gear and go around the world with it. Truthfully, guys, before we get into the question and answer, uh, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com right here sitting in front of me. Cody Nelson, the glassing guru, the optics authority, is the optics manager at GoHunt.com Gear Shop. Uh, You can call Cody directly 
uh, for info and sales on anything that you heard today or any other optics, uh, glassing questions, binos, tripods, rifle scopes, anything to do with glassing, anything to do with optics, you can reach him at 702-847-8747. You can dial at extension 2. He hasn't worked his way up to <laughs> extension 1 yet. Nope, extension <laughs> or 2. Or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. Now, he's sitting right here in front of me. And you've heard me talk about body slamming. You've heard me talk about all sorts of bodily harm that I will inflict on Cody if he doesn't take care of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners. Uh, obviously, with him here uh, in person, I'm not going to be quite as aggressive if he wasn't uh, right here in person. Uh, but he has promised and he has continually taken care of the listeners. So continue to call him and bug him. Uh, that he's going to give you a, a good opportunity and give you good information there at Go Hunt. Uh, I want to thank Cody for taking care of all of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners that have called in. You've given them, provided them great information. Thank and you. I think that's, I just appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I think that's where the value is in, in letting them, you know, ask you questions and walk through the different products, the different manufacturers. Uh, you can also send him an email at optics at gohunt.com. Now, he will get back to you within 15 seconds, or if not, email <laughs> me and let me know. Um, I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu has been a, a big uh, uh, sponsor of my podcast. I appreciate uh, all of their support. That's Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. You can check them out at Kuyu. That's K-U-I-U.com. Uh, that's the gear that I wear on all my hunts. Canyoncoolers.com. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. Uh, Phonescope.com. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount on all orders. And then OnXMaps.com. Use the JScott19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount on all orders. Thanks to all the sponsors that support this podcast. All right, let's dive into some of these questions, guys. Zeiss 10x54 rangefinder versus Swarovski EL range. Which one wins? Well, I, well, if the question was maybe more descriptive, um, they do two different things. Yeah, the rangefinders are completely different. Yeah, the, yeah. The, you're, you're, you're talking about one that is incredibly sophisticated, but yet easy to use, and it's Bluetooth capable with your phone or compatible with your phone, right? And you've got another one that is maybe for a guy that doesn't want all those bells and whistles. So you're talking about the Zeiss 10 by 54 yeah, the, having lots of bells and whistles? Well, yeah, because it's, it, it is. It's a more in-depth unit to understand and, and, and utilize. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't mean that that person couldn't utilize. I'm just saying... There might be somebody that literally just wants it to point and shoot, and that's all they want it to do. Yeah, and they, they don't want to get into having their loads in there. And even though we all could benefit from it, I just think that they're two different types of of rangefinders. Yeah, I think the the rangefinders are different with the Zeiss having more capability, so you have that ability to do the ballistic rangefinding right. portion of it, um, or just have it be a standalone rangefinder. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, you could listen to me say that I think the glass quality on the RF is better than the EL range. Go out and look through them. Um, I, personally, I think you'll see the, the RF is going to be a little bit more comfortable in the hand, and it's going to be a little bit brighter. But don't take my word for it. Go out and pick them both up, take them out and use them, and look through them. That's, 
the best piece of advice I could give someone. Yeah, I think if there's a message that we put out today, I mean, literally, I, I just I don't think people do it enough, and some people have trouble getting to a place where they can do that. For for as much as you can, get out and put your hands on them, and and go and download the app and go through it Absolutely. and look through it and understand what those pieces are capable of because you know I, I was telling you about that that sale at uh at, at at western hunter and when it came down to it this this lady and her husband she spots for the husband and she has glasses and when she looked through all the binos she chose one bino because it looked best to her so it, or i should say she chose a rangefinder because it looked best to her but it 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 didn't have anything to do with the others not being capable and able to do. It's just, that was the one that she saw best. So, you know, you got to figure out what's important to you and you got to go look through them and put your own eyes on them. If I, or or at least experience them to the best of your ability. One thing I'll note is something I learned is the Zeiss ranges from 11 yards to 2,500 where the Swarovski doesn't start until 33 for the bow hunter. And so, you know, that's been, a huge gripe that I've heard from bow hunters. I would argue that, you know, if you need to range something under 33 yards, we've probably got issues. That's my opinion. I don't think, you know, there's that big of a variance, but to be precise and have an 11 yard range, that's, that's better than having a 30, 33 yard range. Absolutely. And I mean, really that comes into play too, when you're ranging at extreme angles at close distances is when you're really going to notice the biggest benefit of that. But, yeah, the, the capability of it going down to 11 is just one more step, I guess, one and, more feature. Really, and I, I, it is, God, I think Swarrow might be the only one that, that has that limitation. And, you know, I could get into why that is, and I, I think that there's a patent or something to do with it. I don't know why that is, but I, I, I can only go off of what I've been told. The bottom line is, is that, you know, Again, if you're a bow hunter, you know, and you need down to that 11 yards, then, you know, that, then don't buy the one that's not going to get you. Absolutely. I mean, you've, 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 you've got to. It's nice to have choices. Well, that, I mean, yeah. that's the whole thing. This is the, 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 the you know, we, uh, you know, when we're, we're. 3D archer comes into play a, then too, a, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's just, you got to do what. It's, and I know we keep saying this, but it's like the golf bag in the, in the different clubs. You know, you're, I mean, you're going to have a, a wide variety of clubs that allow you to do what you need to do on the golf course. And I think, you know, that, that that's what people are starting to do with optics. Mm-hmm. So those Victory RF, that does come with angle compensation as well? Yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, how does strictly the glass of the Victory RF compare to the ELs? To the EL or the EL range? So that's ELs. So I'm gonna he he's got to be comparing it to the range. Right. He, he's got to be uh, apples to apples. To me, I think the we actually print a higher light transmission in the Victory RF versus the EL range. Okay. Now, if you want to look at print and, and put a lot of validation to that, great. If you want to go out and look for yourself, to me, I, I do think they're a little bit brighter, and I think the color definition is a little bit better in them. Um, but again, go out and look through them both. 
Um, I, I do think you'll be pleasantly surprised with the RF because I think it, it brings a lot to the table. Right. Okay, we've got a question. Zeiss Conquest HD 15 Powers. Excellent for a glasser who likes to sink into their eye cups, question mark. Yeah, it, it, they do have very comfortable eye cups, and we, we actually have a pretty uh, long eye relief when the eye cups are, are twisted all the way out. So for a guy that really likes to get in and sink into his binos, they fit very well in that in that situation. Well, in, 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 in just thinking about that question and looking at them, even in their in their their down position their down position they're still not as flat as say all the others mm -hmm. so i mean that you know that might that might you know be a benefit to somebody as well is they don't have to have them extended all the way mm -hmm. any plans of a zeiss 12 by 56 or <laughs> zeiss 1250 <laughs> well i cannot Confirm nor deny anything. No, um, you know, we're, we're constantly upgrading our lines. So that kind of customer feedback is what we want to hear. If you guys do want to see a 12-power Zeiss binocular of a victory or a conquest, send us an email at the customer service email. Let us know, hey, was listening to the podcast, would really like to see this. Or, hey, I love this binocular, but I'd really like to see a 1250 in it. I mean, that's the kind of feedback that we want to hear because at the end of the day, we're producing binoculars for consumers. So if, if you guys have an idea, send it to us. Again, um, I, it comes back to the whole choice thing. Yeah. Um, I think Barton's probably tired of hearing me asking for certain things <laughs> like that. But, I mean, I did it the first day I met him, so why not keep doing it? But, um, man, I'd love to see a 12 power, 1254, 1256. You know, I think those would, you know, there's a lot of people that believe in the 12s and, and they like the field of view versus the power and, you know, if you made one in a 54 or 56, I can't imagine them not just being incredibly bright. And, uh, you know, I know it's worked in, in other brands. And I think Zeiss has a place at the table, and I think that they should. I'd love to see a 12. Okay, Conquest versus Leica, Leica Trinavid 10 by 42 so the, the Conquest HD, I mean, if, if you're talking the old Trinavid 10x42, I think they're going to be a very comparable product. Um, I actually have not compared the new Trinavid to the Conquest. It's a nice piece of glass. I you mean, might be able to speak a little more to that. I, I think you're – and I hate – I am not trying to be like down the middle because you're sitting here, but I, I really do. I think that you really start kind of splitting hairs over those two. I think they got to be pretty the, close. They're 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 both a nice piece of glass, um, perfect for handheld. Um, you know, I, I again, those kind of things. I think that the most important thing that that person can do is it's not about what you and I say. Absolutely, it, I, I'm sorry. It's just not. It's not about. Now, if they said they needed it for this and it had to weigh, and I mean, yeah, you give them the specs, and those are obvious things, but. When, when someone wants to compare two pieces of glass together, again, I, your eyes don't lie. Agreed. And, and I, I just, you keep coming back to that because, you know, there's, there's four or five pieces of glass in that mid-range that mid -range that are really good pieces of glass. And it's, you know, it, I mean, I think you do. I think you start splitting hairs with them. And I think you need to go put your eyes on them. And I think you need to go look at them. And you need to make a decision on and on you know on 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 purchasing them and i just hope they purchase for me 
<laughs> How's that for one-sided? <laughs> but, yeah. There's a question. Harpia 85 versus Gavia 85 glass, question mark. Oh, My Gavia, I'm guessing, far underperforms the Harpia. Well, far is kind of a subjective term. Um, the benefit of the Gavia is the increased glass quality. So the Gavia is going to be, or the, excuse me, the Harpia has the increased glass quality. The Harpia is going to be brighter. It's going to have better color definition, and it's going to have that extended field, field, field of view. Deal. So when you put, you know, if you put the, the 85 Harpia um, at, at 60 power versus the Gavia at 60 power, there's going to be a noticeable difference. But you're also talking a scope that costs over twice as much. So it's hard to compare apples to apples when you have that big of a price point jump because you are increasing your glass quality so much going to the Harpia. So um, I, I use the Gavia more than anything because it's a little bit smaller and lighter weight. So I love this spotting scope. The Gavia is a great spotting scope, but it does have its limitations. Um, that's where the, the Harpia comes in and kind of fills those limitations because of the increased just quality overall. So let me um, ask you a question. For, in, in, if this is going to be your opinion. Mm -hmm. In other lines out there, and let's even say like a Vortex, top-of-the-line Vortex, you're going to take this Gavia quality over the top of the line of a, a Vortex, Loophole, any of the other? Yeah, if you want to compare this with like the Vortex Razor, right, or the, the Loophole tie-in spotter, or uh, I mean there's, there's probably 20 different spotting scopes out there now that are going to be around this price point. I'm fully confident that the Gavi is going to stack up against and hold its own against all of the competition out there at that price point. Um, optics are, are fairly subjective that it's one of the only industries that what you do literally get what you pay for. The more you generally spend on them, the better quality piece of equipment you get. So it, it's hard for me to say, oh, go compare a Gavia to a Harpia because you're not comparing um, characteristics in glass that are close enough to make them similar enough to be able to justify it, right? There's, there's going to be a pretty big increase. Now, for the price point of the, of the Harpia or the Gavia, it's an incredible value. And Cody, you've probably spent more time comparing them side by side than I have. You know, I think the other thing that needs to be talked about is, is that when you start talking, when you start saying one's better than the other, I, I think you really need to, to, to look at some of the other things, like how well do, do they focus for you? It can't just be, you know, I mean, some guys, you know, I, I, I watch guys that fight with focusing binoculars. Man, if you have that hard a time every time you do something, like maybe that's not the binocular for you. So maybe that's not the spotting scope for you. Maybe, you know, uh, some, some of the gearing on, on, the, the, uh, on the focus rings are different. Some are lighter, some are heavier. So, so you've got to start looking at all those little intangible things to realize, you know what, that's what I'm paying for when I, when I buy something that's, you know, $1,500 more than the other. And so, again, we go back to that, that you're investing in, in the glass, but you're investing in your time. Like, how much, how much time do I fiddle with that focus ring you know, and how much time am I blinking because my eyes don't see as well. I mean, it, it all adds up. And I think that, that when you when you start buying, quote unquote, better optics, you're in you're basically I think you're buying time. That, that's what it is to me. Yeah, your experience changes. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yep. So it gives you more time behind the glass actually looking for game. It's just that simple to me. There's a question here. Is there a difference between the V eight and the V six turrets? 
and their reliability and accuracy with use over an extended period of time for constant long-range field work. I think that's keyed up for Cortland. So as far as repeatability and, and quality, the turrets are very similar. Uh, we've got the same materials in both turrets. So repeatability, they're going to be about the same. There's some other differences in those two turrets. Uh, the V8 is actually set up in centimeters, um, where the V6 is a MOA turret. Um, and you have more travel in the V6 turret than you do the V8 turret. So it's they're kind of two different animals, but as far as the quality and repeatability goes, they should be exactly the same. Um, both, both are very, very capable of what they're designed to do, and they're very, very repeatable. Um, I have a little bit more experience with the V6 myself, um, just shooting it at long range, and I, I've been 100% satisfied. I mean, this is us talking here. This is not me talking as a Zeiss sales guy. That scope will do anything I ask it to do over and over and over and over yeah. again. With that being said, we didn't really get into your own personal hunting growing up here in Arizona. What animals year in and year out do you like to hunt? So typically, I'm, I'm kind of like everybody else in Arizona. I love chasing elk with my bow in September when I can, I'm fortunate enough to draw a tag. And to be honest, Cody, I would probably take your cow tag this year um, just because uh, being in September with my bow is, They'll you be can't ripping. really beat it. Yeah, that's, you that's, can't beat that's it. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> that's twice. That's twice. Um, but I, I do love hunting coos deer in the desert. Um, I grew up hunting desert deer. Um, and you know, I had the, the fortunate, my, my dad and my grandfather took me hunting quite a bit when I was a kid. Um, I actually shot my first deer on the North Kaibab and everything I've killed there since then, I, there hasn't been a pine tree within, you know, a hundred miles. <laughs> so, uh, I've been chasing desert deer a very long time. Um, so, you know, with coos deer hunting, you do get into long range shooting cause you tend to have longer shots. And, um, I've been in the optics industry for, uh, 12 years, 13 years now yeah. as an outside rep, um, now working inside with Zeiss that I've had the opportunity to have a lot of different manufacturer stuff in the field, uh, binoculars, spotters, rifle scopes, and uh, be able to use them not only on shooting targets, but on hunting game. And it's it's been kind of eye-opening as you step up from company to company or glass quality to glass quality, that when you buy that quality piece of gear, what it can do and the results you see in the field because of it. Yep. And the, the one thing that I, I think the long range shooting game has been kind of a revolution in our industry, but it's a tricky thing because you have to do your homework and you have to put the time in to make it a repeatable process, right? Having quality gear makes that a little bit easier. It makes it easier to repeat over and over again. But the one thing I, I've really tried to drive guys home to is go out and shoot your gun, go out and make sure that you know what you're doing with that equipment to make it usable. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, – sorry, a little tangent there. But, um, yeah, being in Arizona, we, we definitely do have the opportunity for the long-range glassing, the long-range shooting, um, especially chasing those little gray deer that, you know, everybody – God's deer. Yeah, exactly. What, what was your uh, What was your first pair of binos? Oh, I mean, no, I'm going to say – like after high school, you're kind of out from under dad's wing a little bit. What was your first pair of binos? I don't really want to say it because it's almost embarrassing. Well, no. I mean, it was I, a pair of ELs. <laughs> uh, well, what was it? Yeah, so I used to work at Sportsman's Warehouse. And oh, we had a, see, a there very you go. good industry program. But I will say the first pair of binoculars I bought myself was a 10 by 42 Nikon Monarch. There you go. Yep. So you've used a lot of the different products. What What are you running now as like your chest binocular, your you know, pack binoculars, spotting scope, rifle scope, like what's your go-to? So I've actually been running the 1042 Conquest for the last uh, seven years. Great choice. Um, I've, I bumped up to the 1042 RF 
as a chest binocular. Um, I've been running the 1556 Conquest for about five years now, um, and I have no plans of changing that. That's been a solid binocular and a solid performer for me. Um, as far as rifle scopes go, I'm actually, I use the V4 and the V6 rifle scopes now, but uh, I've used uh, probably t 10 different rifle scopes over the years. Um, and personally, I like the weight of the V4. Keeps my rifle a little bit shorter. That 4 to 16 44 will be on my 7 mag this year uh, for my coos deer hunt. It's a 21 ounce scope and it gives me all the performance I need. So, um, and most yeah, of your of ranges of shots are, you know, three to 500? Yeah, three to five in there. Uh, once in a while, we'll have something a little bit farther than that. I've, I mean, we've killed them under 100 yards several times, but yeah, usually three to five is about average of what we're seeing. Okay. So, would you? I mean, if you, if someone asked you, would you say, I'm a cooster hunter? Is that's, that what you absolutely. is that what you kind of associate with? <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's what I spend more time doing, I think, because we have the ability to do that. I can get a tag every year. I can chase good quality bucks every year. Um, so I, I tend to spend more time doing that than anything else. You like hunting desert bucks or um, bucks up in the forest, or what do you like? I'm a glutton for punishment. I like the desert bucks. Yeah, yeah that big, wide open, hot hunt. Uh, we do the October hunt quite quite a bit. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking just the, about. <laughs> just the hot box. <laughs> yep. It's so. Uh, I mean, but I've from never an opportunity standpoint. Those hunts for residents, for sure, even for oh, non-residents, yeah. those October hunts, you can almost get drawn every single year. Yeah, yeah and, it, and we've had hunts where over yeah. the course of a week, we're, we've seen 30 bucks. Yeah. I mean, the the deer numbers are there. The, I mean, if you're not going out, for the guy that wants to go out and just do a hunt that has some equipment that knows what he's doing, you can go out and kill a coos deer every year in October and get a tag every year in October. If you want to go out and start chasing size and, and you know, I'm not going to shoot a buck below 105 inches, get a little bit more picky, you still have that opportunity in, during that hunt as well. So sure. to me, I, our Absolutely. game and fish department has tailored those hunts. They tend to be a little bit more people in there, and they're busier, they're hot. But if, if you get off the beaten path a little bit and you let your, your binos do the walking for you, you can be successful every year on those hunts. Okay, yeah. we've got another question here. What do you recommend for a chest binocular? I have Swarovski 15s already in my backpack. Um, I would start with, um, my first recommendation would be the 1042 Conquest and then the, um, the Victory SF going above that. So it kind of depends on what your price point is, what you're comfortable spending on a pair. Um, the one thing that we haven't noted much is Zeiss's warranty. Um, and I'm going to kind of outline this and, and get into that, but Zeiss's warranty, it's a lifetime transferable warranty, but it also has a five-year no-fault policy. Right. So chest binoculars are the one thing that we see come in warranty the most because they get used the most without right. a tripod. They get dropped, they get picked up. Uh, you drop them and, and ding an eye cup and break an eye cup. So if, if you're looking for just a standalone handheld chest binocular, I would look at the Conquest HD for about, they're what, $1,100 or 1050 for the 1042s. And then the SF, which is going to be the big jump up in quality, um, up at about 2700 Just to kind of depend on what you're comfortable spending. If you do want to throw a rangefinder in that element, you can go with the RF at virtually the same size as either of those other two with the capability of having the rangefinder in it. So I, I probably didn't answer his question specifically, but um, there's there's a lot of options, especially in the Zeiss lineup, to kind well, of get you, you know, a standalone glass. I had a question this morning, you know, online that was simply like, hey, I, I, he was comparing a couple entry level binoculars, and he he and with all due, I mean, he didn't mention the Zeiss mm -hmm. at all. 
So, I, I mean, I immediately threw this ice in there and, you know, his response back to me was, was favorable. And so, you know, I, it hasn't turned into a sale yet, but it, you know, that's, that's the difference when you have the ability to get somebody in a start, you know, or entry level. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the difference between, say, a, well, other binoculars and, say, this Terra ED is, you know, maybe 100 bucks. Yeah. So I think you're getting way more glass for that 100 bucks than than the others. Absolutely. And if he's if he's carrying a pair of Swarovski 15s, he's used to looking through quality glass, I would I encourage him just to stick with that with your handhelds. I mean, you're probably going to end up using those more than you do your 15s, depending on the hunt, that you're going to want to invest the money in a quality set of handhelds. So, so go with the SF or the RF. No. Yep. Now, yep. I'm going to say this. I get guys that call all the time, and they will say, well, here is my, my chest glass, and I, I'm just going to throw one out there. They say, okay, I, I've got a, a, a Vortex Viper. And I and so and they tell me that they want a fifteen, but they really want to step it up, and and they they start asking where to spend their money. And so what I've you know come to the conclusion and really kind of been telling people is is that look, what do you most want to grow at? And they're like, oh, I just I really want to be able to see long range and and you know really glass up. And, and a lot of times it's coos deer, you know, sometimes it's, you know mule deer, elk, whatever, but. It's really been interesting because I will tell people now, hey, look, do you see well with your chest glass? Well, sure, absolutely. They've worked really well for me. Keep them. I mean, for right now, keep them. Put the money into the bigger glass because, and and not to disagree with what you're saying, but if a guy's hunting coos deer or he's really glassing a lot, he's probably got them mounted on a tripod 85% of the time. Absolutely. So, and he's not using the chest glass, but when he's moving. Yep. So, I've just kind of taken on a little bit different thought lately that, you know what? Hey, keep those on your chest and use them. You're already beating them up and having fun with them and chest back and the whole deal. Use those for a while. Go get your set of 15s. And when you've gathered up and, and recovered from that from that purchase, <laughs> then then go back and do your, your 10s. And and I, I got to be honest with you, I, I think it's it's been a really... It's been a really good thing. They almost appreciate the fact that you're you're not trying to you know get them for one thing, but you're just listening to them, and that's what they really want. So I yep. think it it really helps them kind of make that decision of, you know what, good man, you know, because I tell them like it's not like I mean, do you see any game now? Well, yeah, I see a game. Well, it I mean, it's not going to magically just get better that you have, you know. So go find the ones that you're going to see game at a farther distance. And I think that for the longer range stuff, the better glass means more. I agree, hundred percent. So, yep. you know that that's the only you know difference that I say in that. But if a guy just had to have one, I, I would go with your theories that you know I, I'd I'd spend, I, I'd go with a, a better piece of first glass. Yeah. So, I guess it just depends on on where they're at in their their purchasing history. Absolutely. Got a question here. I'm looking to upgrade my tripod and head. Best medium weight system for glassing mule deer. Obviously, Cortland, you're um, a coos deer glasser and coos deer hunter. 
Uh, I'm sure that you, you'll have some input to this, but Cody, what are you thinking? So and he says midweight, right? Yeah, he says, uh, looking to upgrade my tripod and head, best medium weight system for glassing mule deer. Yeah, you know, I, I'd, I'd look real strongly at the, the 290 extras, either carbon fiber or um, uh, or aluminum, and I'd go with the VA5 head from Sure. Um, I think that's... A, Which legs would you go with? The, 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 the Manfrotto 290 okay. extra. Um, I mean, if he wants to go a little bit lighter weight, then you can go into the slick 634s, um, or, you know, like the, the Suray, uh, uh, 1205, uh, SKs. I, I think he's going to get more versatility. And when he says mid weight to me, that means he's, he's not looking for the lightest weight. So I, I would lean towards the, the 290 extra aluminum for Manfrotto or the 290 extra carbon fiber for Manfrotto. I've got a question here. It kind of goes back. I'll kind of paraphrase it. It kind of goes back to the Zeiss warranty. You said there's a five-year no-fault warranty. Explain to me exactly what that means. So no-fault warranty, it's it's pretty much whatever happens to the bino for five years, we'll fix them. Um, we do print in there that if it's you know gross abuse, negligence, like if you take your binocular out and beat it with a hammer, we're probably not going to fix them for you. But if it falls off the back of your truck and breaks or gets run over by your quad, Zeiss is going to be there to back you up. I mean, we realize that buying a, a higher quality or, you know, a higher end optic is an investment. So we want to make sure that, that, you know, you guys are protected on that side as far as warranty issues go. Um, and the, the way we run our warranty on the five-year no fault, it's either repaired or replaced um, at no charge to the customer. Um, very simple process. You get on our website, you fill out the repair form, send it in. We send you a number to send it back. That way we know when that package hits our doorstep, where it's going and what's going on with it. Um, pretty quick turnaround time, depending on, on what's going on with the, with the optic. Um, and the repairs are actually done in, uh, Tennessee. So I was going to ask you that. So I know where is Zeiss's North American headquarters? So our headquarters are in Thornwood, New York. We'd have a repair facility in Tennessee. Okay. Um, and then depending, so some of the older Zeiss products cannot be actually repaired in house in the, in the States. They do have to go back to Germany. Um, the benefit is we do have stuff that goes and comes from Germany all the time. So the, the turnaround time has been significantly decreased um, from from times past. So Good stuff. Um, Cody, anything I'm missing here that I need to be asking Cortland that you can think of? And from a Go Hunt, you know, gear shop perspective, I'm sure you get a lot of people calling and you do a lot of sales with Zeiss. Any, any last minute final no, thoughts? No, I just... Can? Um, you know, I just think people really need to look at the lineup. It, 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 I, I'm, I'm not lying when I say that, you know, you could take, you know, a, 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 you know, one from each category. And I think you could make, you know, a case that you could go anywhere in the world with what's sitting right here on the table. And, and, and that, you know, that could mean you could go to Africa or you could go to, Alaska, or you could go hunt coos deer in, in, in Sonora. It doesn't, I think that the, 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 the Zeiss lineup has done nothing but got, gotten better and better and better over the years. And not that it was ever bad. It just, it, you, you, they just keep coming out with new and better stuff. And I think it's what the, what, you know, I think it's what people want. So, um, I would tell you that, um, Everything that's on here, uh, we are offering a, a gift card right now, and I would tell people to take advantage of it because it's, you know, that gift card is 
Um, you know, like for the 15, uh, 56, uh, you know, that's a $150 gift card that goes, that you can use in our gear shop. And I think you're crazy for not taking it. So pretty good, pretty good offer. Absolutely. Cortland, any last final thoughts? So one thing I'll encourage you guys to do, um, if you guys haven't seen the Zeiss hunting app, download the Zeiss hunting app. Um, it's got a very, very good ballistic profile or ballistic computer in it. So even if you're not using it in conjunction with our RF, it's a very good standalone ballistic calculator, um, and it's a free app. So go download that. Go check it out. It kind of gives you an idea, too, of what Zeiss is capable of if you're maybe not familiar with Zeiss. Um, but, yeah, I encourage you guys to go see your retailers, call Cody at Go Hunt, um, and, and start checking out some stuff. I think there's a lot of offerings here that uh, will turn some heads, and I think a lot of people haven't seen yet. So if you're in the market for some new gear, go check it out. Awesome. Cortland, uh, moving forward, have you drawn any hunts coming up or do you have anything specific, whether in state or out of state that, you know, you're fired up about or any trips? I think you're headed to Germany to go to Zeiss, if, if I remember correctly. Yep. So this year we're supposed to, we're going to Germany. Um, we're going to go check out the factory. They just moved the manufacturing facility from Wetzlar to Oberkoken. So we're going to go check out the new manufacturing plant. Um, as far as hunts go, I was the proud recipient of more bonus points this year. So <laughs> I will, uh, as of right now, I'm, I'm not hunting elk or antelope, so <laughs> um, we'll see how the sheep draw goes, and then, uh, I mean, hope, fingers crossed. How many points up. you got for sheep? I just rolled over 19 points for sheep and 19 points for antelope, Good so, for yeah, I'm getting up there. Um, I should probably pick your brain a little bit on where to put in for sheep this year, but, um, yeah, I'll probably be chasing coos deer in the desert in October, November, somewhere. Awesome. So. Well, it's been a real eye-opening uh, day for me to be able to get to see the whole Zeiss line up here. And I want to thank uh, Cortland for uh, your time and your expertise. And I want to thank uh, Cody, as always, for uh, doing these uh, fun podcasts. I know the listeners and uh, Instagram followers get a lot of value out of it. I uh, want to encourage uh, anyone out there to give Cody a call, to reach out. If you have follow-up questions... Uh, you can email him uh, at optics at gohunt.com. You can also uh, give him a ring, 702-847-8747. That's extension two. Uh, and again, Cody, thanks uh, for your expertise. <clears throat> Jay, I think the, the thanks needs to be given to you. We, the response that we've gotten from the podcast and the customers and the questions and, you know, some people, you know, maybe they don't buy today, they buy later, but... The response has been nothing short of phenomenal, and we Good. just we just appreciate the opportunity. Good. And I know we've been friends for a long time, but that's that's that has nothing to do with the friendship. I mean, literally, yeah, I, it it just amazes me because the the uh, that we just we we get calls every day or an email every day, just you know, saying, "Man, I heard you guys." Or it's funny because sometimes I don't know which one they're listening to. And when they start mentioning well, body, well, yeah, slams, they start mentioning they body slam. I'm like, oh, what episode was that? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's pretty funny, but yeah, they're having. Uh, they're, I think I think that's the biggest thing that I'm getting from this is that I think they just you know the, the customers are just they like the fact that we're breaking stuff down. They like the fact that we're talking about stuff that we either personally use or have personally used, and and you know I'm in a little bit different position because I get to pretty much use everything and so you know it, it's you know i do have personal favorites but all in all my job is to is to educate people and help people make the best decisions for them and jay without this platform um i mean yeah we do a great job of go hunt or doing our own thing 
but this is in my eyes this is just a, a, a just a perfect place to do it well i appreciate both of you guys uh, giving some time here i also want to thank you guys the listeners out there for your avid support of this podcast and the loyal support it, it just blows me away every day I want to encourage you, if you have questions of me, you can send me an email at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. You can also follow along on my Instagram. You can send me a direct message. That's at jscottoutdoors. And again, just thanks for all of the avid support. And until then, God bless you guys. God bless all the listeners. Thanks again, Jay. Yep, thank you, Jay. Thanks, Cortland, for coming. Thanks, Cody.